0: Hello and welcome to SequelCast Episode 3, in which we cover Beverly Hills Cop 3. This is your host, Uncle Milkshake, with special guest...
1: Uh, Jersey Jason.
0: And if you haven't listened before, SequelCast is a show in which uh, we cover movies in a franchise one movie at a time. We are wrapping up the Beverly Hills Cop cycle with the last film in the series so far, Beverly Hills Cop 3. Uh, be sure to visit the website at www.sqlcast.com to grab the latest episode or to check out past episodes. Beverly Hills Cop 1 came out in 1984, and the second one came out in 1987. But the third one didn't come out until 1994, about seven years later. Beverly Hills Cop Three. I rewatched it this morning. I had not seen it in quite some time. It wasn't quite as awful as I remembered, and uh, I think the beginning is one of the strongest parts of the picture, where it takes place in Detroit.
1: Uh, well, let's talk about let's talk about the beginning. Him and his boss um, and a whole bunch of policemen are trying to get some car thieves. Um, and again, Axel has a flashy car. Um, what is it? Uh, not a Lamborghini this time.
0: It's a red car. It's
1: a red car. <laughs>
0: It looks similar to what he's had in the other movies.
1: But like in this big car chase, which happens because the car thieves uh, shoot uh, Axel's boss. Um, so that is the death of one character. Again, another person dying, which makes Axel have to go somewhere else to find them.
0: And killing off Inspector Todd, I thought was a pretty surprising move. I think he's a, a funny character in the Beverly Hills Cop series, even though he doesn't get a lot of lines.
1: No, he is, he, he's the hilarious ca- uh, character, but because he's older, and I guess since he's also black, even though he yells at Axel a lot, I'm guessing Axel has some allegiance to this character, because he could have been shit-canned so long ago. Well, this is opening
0: that- in Detroit is fairly violent. I mean, they're going to try and track some carjacking, what appears to be carjacking. It turns out to be something involving a mysterious uh, truck full of boxes labeled uh, U.S. government. And they shoot these, uh, the bad guys shoot the carjackers and drive away, and you get a pretty big chase sequence with Axel Foley and the armored
1: car. So anyway, his, his boss is dead. He has to track down these people who shot him. And of course, for some reason, the... Um...
0: One of the bad guys left behind a briefcase, and inside the briefcase is a towel that says Wonder World.
1: Which, of course, that kind of clue, even though it's a towel, it's a clue. <laughs> That leads him to Wonderworld. So, all the evidence, which is the towel, points towards the newspaper. Not that the guy stole the towel, but that somehow he was there, or he must have met, or been there, or done something at Wonderworld.
0: That's such a big stretch, it's because this, this movie presents Wonderworld as the equivalent of Disneyland, as a huge, massive theme park. It could be a coincidence that the bad guy happened to have a towel to a major theme park in his briefcase they left behind.
1: See so, you now, when I think about Wonder World, I think a lot about uh, the California Adventure that Disney set up. It's not as big as it's not as big as Disneyland. It's a good size, but it is meant more ride-like. It's not like the little, I guess, animatronic entertainment. Mm-hmm. It's more swings and roundabouts, carousels, uh, roller coasters.
0: That's true. It's almost look, it almost looks like one of those traveling amusement parks in a lot of ways.
1: But also, it is using Paramount's. One of Paramount's um, theme parks.
0: Oh, and the movie is made by Paramount. That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Well, here's my question: Would you go to Wonder World?
0: No, I mean I, I really hate roller coasters. I enjoy the the different designs of part of a theme park, but I don't like heights. I don't like being jostled around. I don't like lines. <laughs> I don't like I don't like cotton candy. <laughs> so I don't know what reason there is for me to go to a theme park at all, really.
1: Well, let's talk about, like, what happens when he actually gets there. He gets to California, and he looks up, of course, all the old characters that we love. um, Billy Rosewood.
0: Well, except that's the only character that you love, because there is no one else in this movie until later on from the uh, older entries in the franchise.
1: He like goes, Ronnie Cox. as Captain Ronnie Bill. Cox
0: is not in this movie. They say he retired?
1: They don't have dialogue re-
0: regarding Ronnie Cox. However, John Ashton, who played Taggart, which was Rosewood's... Police partner. The he, fat guy. Yeah, the fat guy with the mustache. They say he's retired. However, he's that character is basically replaced with a detective named John Flint,
1: played, played by Hector. By Hector Alons Eliz, Elizondo?
0: Yeah, you've seen him in he's in Pretty Woman as the guy that sells dresses to Julia Roberts. Um, no, he
1: doesn't. He runs the hotel oh, oh, to he give her a dress when she's crying.
0: You're right. He also has a mustache. He also is bald. And fat.
1: But he's Spanish. He is Spanish. He's got that Latin fever.
0: All right, so he goes to the Beverly Hills Police Department meets up with Rosewood.
1: Who is... He is what now?
0: He's played by Judge Reinhold, as he was for all the movies. But, but he, he is... is a, he's a sergeant. But more specifically, he has a title with the long acronym. He's the D-D-O-J-S-I-O-C. The department director of Joint Special Interoperational Command,
1: and which is, he says that he gets control of this big board, and then all these little lights flashing, and you can actually see you see the different um, you see the different districts that the police control uh, control patrol um, in Beverly Hills,
0: and he but appears he appears to coordinate police work if it crosses between the lines of different sectors of Los Angeles,
1: but it's like in what jurisdiction it is. And of course, still, still, Axel doesn't have any jurisdiction because he's a Detroit cop in Beverly Hills, thus Beverly Hills Cop, which is why you can't take the character to London or Paris or any of that. So you do Rush Hour because that doesn't have any place in its title.
0: Which again, having a movie rated R with um, because of language, I assume, taking place at a theme park is kind of strange. You don't see Eddie Murphy with a roller coaster in the background and think, oh, this is gonna be a rated R comedy.
1: But it does have um, some cutesy footsy animals because again, since it's based on Disney World, there is a cre- there is a person, a creator, uh, who has created this cavalcade of creatures.
0: Well the name of the character that's like Walt Disney is called Uncle Dave,
1: and as What's for... sort of creepy, I prefer Walt Disney. Uh, anytime you put the uncle on somebody's name, it's like weird. But yeah, so he actually winds up going to this park and seeing, and we get, and we as the viewer get to see all these characters, get to see Uncle Walt.
0: He has trouble getting in because of security, and he, he tries to get in free but has to pay for a ticket. And he complains that the price of the ticket is $35, which to me sounds like a reasonable price, maybe at the time, $94. Yeah, that's like a family.
1: You know? Oh, yeah, but I'm talking about like now? That's a hell of a bargain. It's usually like 45 to go to Universal now.
0: And he goes inside the park and sees a security guard on a walkie-talkie open up a plastic, life-size wooden stump and walk inside. And there's a sign outside that says employees only. And so he sneaks in there to try and see what's going on. And he runs across uh, Janice Perkins, played by Theresa Randall. It never says what she does exactly, but she seems to be in charge of the uh, technology room running one of the rides called Alien Attack. Alien Attack is a ride where it's not a roller coaster exactly. You're on, you sort of sit, everyone sits in this, uh, looks like a bus, and then all around you things start shaking. It's like there's an earthquake, water comes rushing down, there's an explosion. Even though it's called Alien Attacks, it's not really aliens that are attacking people, they're robots that look... Well,
1: no, they're alien robots. They're, alien, they're like, Okay, <laughs> alien robots. And stuff. They're alien robots that are based on, and really are, blatantly are, the costumes from the Cyloms from the original Battlestar Galactica in 1978. But of course they're just guys in costumes. They didn't actually make robots for the movie. And the earthquake ride they didn't build from scratch. It's the earthquake section of the studio tour at Universal Studios in Hollywood. So they used real places. They didn't just rent and build an amusement park. They had to, They had to actually use real world theme parks to create the idea of Wonder World being so large and that way they could also set up their own things at night um, they could close off sections of a park for filming and they could do controlled explosives and stuff
0: and there's now, a bit of a romance that goes between Eddie Murphy and Janice Perkins throughout this movie
1: well number one she's hot number two she's black
0: and half his age
1: but oh that's okay well that's another problem that Eddie Murphy has in real life so she instantly kind of gets a liking for him and he definitely thinks she's. And so, but even, even though he's not, she
0: likes him, even though he he breaks into a employees only area of this theme park and just waltzes up next to her.
1: Yeah. So instead of calling for security, she shows him how the ride works. Right. You think that's yeah. That's a good point, Matt. Well, after that, because he, he he keeps sneaking into places. Like, she shows him. Doesn't she also show him some video footage? And like he asks "What's here?" And she said, "Oh, that." parts closed off because it's one of the rides that's being fixed
0: she shows him these blueprints and there is a ride called it's not called jurassic park
1: No, isn't it like called scary
0: forest or some- something like dinosaur forest the cover is that oh this area of the park is just used for you know what this area this ride in the park wasn't that popular so we're just shutting it down and renovating it and Axel Foley decides to investigate, and she helps him with his investigation, even though she shouldn't be. She should just be reporting him.
1: But it's like one of those classic rides that everybody knows. I don't see it ever being changed, because it's iconic. But I guess maybe Mr. Toad's wild ride wasn't iconic enough, and the movie didn't have the lasting power that Lady really the Pooh does. It's, it's just weird choices they make, and they have to, get, um, they have to reach a, a younger audience than me. Because, of course, every adult, when you say, oh, yeah, remember this ride? Yeah, but a lot of people who went like, when they were young won't remember that ride. And then they're kinda, and they'll kind also say, how pissed they are when it got changed. Because they want their kids to experience the same thing. So
0: after looking over the plans with the uh, broad he's trying to bane, Axel Foley discovers counterfeit bills are being printed.
1: In that shutdown ride.
0: In the shutdown ride in the middle of...
1: Wonderworld. <gasps> Illegal things happening in an amusement park?
0: Right. Quite the shock. So he decides...
1: He also, out, he also finds out that it's operating under the command of the security boss, Ellis DeWald, played by Timothy Carhart, who uh, is in a lot of evil worlds. He? He's a good actor.
0: No, he's actually pretty good in this movie. I like the bad guy in Beverly Hills Cop 3, Ellis DeWald, much better than the villains in Beverly Hills Cop 2.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. He's a
0: dick. You see him in the start of this movie. He's the guy that shoots
1: Inspector Todd
0: Todd in the chest. But
1: we also found out that he is working as well with the park manager, Orrin Sanderson, played by John Saxon, who also does a really good movie. The, the, The villains in this, again, much better than two. They're more believable, they're more evil, and you love to see them die at some point.
0: Right, I mean, they're just white assholes, but they do... Especially Ellis DeWald, he kind of has a smile plastered on his face all the time that's a little bit like Christian Bale in American Psycho, or like a Tom Cruise where a character's smiling all the time. It's very unsettling.
1: And of course, because Axel Foley knows that it's Ellis, and Ellis knows that Axel now is kind of caught on to him, because he is caught later on um, by the security force. And when he brings back, I guess, reinforcements... The, they're taken into that same room that the counterfeit money was being made, and they're shown, no, it's not counterfeit money, it's Wonder Bucks.
0: It's a promotion in which they'll give these Wonder Bucks, these, they look like dollar bills, but they have an elephant cartoon guy on it, and they're going to give them out to elementary schools to allow elementary school kids to go to Wonder World for free during the holiday season. And Eddie Murphy just wasted everyone's time,
1: Now, Rosewood does believe Axel, but the detective John Flint, he doesn't. And, of course, he then is put in the role of not Taggart, because Taggart, I think, would would totally believe him because of all the things that Axel's done before. Because John is a new uh, policeman in this franchise, he doesn't know Axel's per chance of luck, I guess. His ability to actually find the stuff out. Um, and even then, Billy doesn't really have the same power. He's not an actual, he's not a foot patrolman anymore. He's a deputy director. So he's technically, if you think about it, he's got a desk job, whereas John Flint doesn't.
0: And Rosewood doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie either. He appears a bit towards the end and in the beginning when he briefs Axel Foley about the general situation, but he's not as much of a main character as he was in Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2.
1: Because also it seems that uh, Axel doesn't have the backup, even unintentional backup, like in the first movie, as he does in all the other ones. He's kind of on his own, and at one point he, he to, get, to get out of the park, because he knows that all the security there, who is working in conjunction with Ellis DeWald, They're all gunning for him, and technically they want to kill him and silence him as quickly as possible. He makes a ruckus at the park after saving two kids in a great scene.
0: In this scene, Eddie Murphy's running away from the security team that's chasing after him with guns, and it's a bit like a a Ferris wheel, except all the sections are covered.
1: It's weird because it's each one sectional, and they have the little... Actually, it looks like a combination of four different rides. But it spins around. Each arm thing kind of spins around with about five chambers on it. And he gets up into one. And he's bounding about. He's jumping from uh, carriage to carriage. And they're trying to get him down. And in doing so, they actually mess up the controls. Sparks fly out. Because that happens. Um, sparks fly out. And the, the all the doors unlock. And because of the spinning motion, two... They're not white. Tell me I'm wrong.
0: You're not wrong. However, they, their father they, is portrayed by George Lucas in the movie in a very strange cameo.
1: But they're thrust out of the chamber. They're thrust out of the carriage and are dangling at least, at least maybe eight stories up.
0: And somehow Axel Foley works his way around to rescue these kids. However, once he twist himself around this complicated ride and gets them down to safety, the security team is still trying to throw him out of the park and he has to escape.
1: So what he does is he fires his gun into the air and puts it down on the ground. Luckily, there are tourists who have cameras out.
0: And one of the tourists films Eddie Murphy shooting the gun into the air.
1: But because of this, people calling 911 and stuff, the security can't just take him somewhere and... Eliminate him for what he's seen. He kind of gets. What would you call, He gets a reprise, but because of that, they he's forced to go back to the room, and they show him.
0: Axel Foley goes back to his. You mean he goes back to his hotel that he's staying at, and he. Runs, no, no, no. Because oh. isn't this
1: after after he shoots the place up? Isn't that when he? Isn't that when he finds out, or why? Isn't that when they disguise the room to make it look like they're making the bucks, or have I got that backwards?
0: He ends up going back there a, a second or third, a, a few times during the movie, but after rescuing the kids, he goes back to his hotel room. He discovers Uncle Dave is waiting for him in his hotel room.
1: Wow, that's even creepier.
0: Yeah, it's very strange. It's out of nowhere. It's Uncle Dave and Eddie Murphy busts uh, through with his gun and says, Stop it. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot. And then this old man turns around and you see it's Uncle Dave. And then, then he's like, Oh, I almost shot Uncle Dave.
1: Well, Who plays Uncle Dave?
0: The actor is Angus Young.
1: Angus Young from uh, ACDC?
0: No, not from ACDC. An early movie he was in was The uh, Time Machine, and he is best known for Mr. Ed. He played the owner of a talking horse that would talk to no one but him.
1: You know, oddly enough, every time I think of Mr. Ed, I automatically think of the actor who played Darren on um, The Witch. Why is that? So why does Uncle Dave come to his room?
0: Uncle Dave comes to Axel Foley's room because he knows there are bad things going on in his theme park. And a friend of his who helped design a lot of the rides gave Uncle Dave this mysterious note that has a message on it that says, Please help. This is life and death. And that's all that's on the note. There doesn't seem to be anything of importance to it, so it's not much of a leave. Uncle Dave knows nothing, so it's really quite a shit piece of information he's giving Axel Foley.
1: Because he's only Uncle Dave. He's it's only his fucking (laughs) park. It's like it's weird because it sounds like it makes it seem like he all he does is kept in a basement to work on cartoons and bought up for photo ops. It's like uh, I don't know.
0: Now if Axel, if um Uncle Dave would have been the villain in a surprise twist,
1: ah, that would have been. But it's like, do you remember um National Lampoon's? Vacation,
0: the first one,
1: yeah, yeah and they're looking okay. at it and they're trying to get to Wally World, and at the end, the owner of Wally World comes out and is like, "All right, folks, I'll give you a private tour of my of Wally World." It's just it seems like these creators just pop up. It's like you would think with like if Eisner, if it was Eisner, he technically Eisner is Orin Sanderson, if you think <laughs> that, and Walt Disney is kept in a room somewhere. That's what, this basically makes it to today. It's like he has no power, even though he created all these characters and he's making tons of money. He has no control over his park. Because he could just, just fucking fire them. Just fire I mean, Alice the he
0: Yeah, doesn't he own, wouldn't he own that company? Or did he, in his youth, sell off the company for some godly sum at the time?
1: Now he's only a figurehead?
0: Liberation. Yeah, maybe he's just a figurehead. He's like the Queen of England.
1: Or creative director with no actual hand in the park. That's interesting, because yeah, in this... It seems Orin Sanderson has so much more power than, um, than Uncle Cobal.
0: We forgot to mention that Orin Sanderson, yes, Orin Sanderson, who is played by John Saxon, John Saxon is a very famous actor. Most people might recognize him from Enter the Dragon or the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. He has these kind of beady little
1: eyes. But we find out that the note isn't just a note. There's something very special about it that kind of brings everything around.
0: If you look carefully on the note, you see these numbers, when held to the side, match up on the numbers printed on the side of dollar bills. So this note was written on paper used to print the counterfeit dollar
1: bills. Thus, why it was in a box labeled U.S. Government.
0: Which was stolen from Detroit in the armored car by DeWald at the beginning of the
1: picture. This again, Axel Still is proof that Elsie was the guy who shot his boss. Right. And again, nobody believes him except, of course, Rosewood.
0: And somewhere along the line, there's in this movie, I forget how it pops up, there's a cameo with the character Surge, from the first film.
1: Well, actually, no, because it shows up, because Ellis DeWald is actually, he's such a good security boss. I'm doing funny ears, if nobody can tell, quotation marks. Um, Ellis DeWald is being congratulated for his, I guess, prowess as a security guy. And it's at this convention of all these, I guess, cops and security guards and anybody in law enforcement. And it's like a convention. So there are all these booths. And, of course, who has an awesome booth? Serge. Played by Bronson Pinchot. Um,
0: Who in this movie is literally the James Bond Q character. He has a bunch of inventions that he gives to Axel Foley to use in the final battle.
1: Well, wait, no, no, let's not. Well, he has inventions, but he didn't invent them. No, he, is
0: selling, he, he sells
1: he, them. He sells these huge fucking guns that do so much for no reason. But they also have a great, um, they have a great video that goes along <laughs> with it, with babes shooting the weapon. It's, oh God, it's, it's
0: possibly crazy. the highlight of the movie.
1: People still, there are still there are companies that do that that just show hot babes in in swimsuits firing their weapons, I think there there's people that that really appeals to, but I don't like seeing a girl, I don't know, a girl firing a rocket launcher, does that get you, does that get you Randy?
0: It, it doesn't get me Randy, it gets me more Steve. <laughs> that's a good one, keep that in, that's great. Okay. The main thing that Serge is uh, pitching is this improbable gun.
1: That's funny, I thought he was a catcher. He's more
0: of a pitcher, likes to wind it up, then release the pitch. That works on so many levels.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> here's the other thing is, we have to laugh at this because this movie isn't funny.
0: No, Beverly Hills Cop 3 is not funny. One of the only funny things is, Serge's gun can play CDs, is a microwave, can listen to the radio,
1: has a net launcher.
0: Has, has a net, yeah, has a net launcher, shoots like a machine gun, also has a rocket launcher built into it at the same time.
1: Because you know it's not street legal.
0: No, it can't. Not if it has a rocket launcher on it. I guess. And then
1: my other my other question is, is how many police forces? Do you, a swap team's not going to buy that. How many people? Really, the only thing I can think of is private collectors buying that gun.
0: He claimed Joshua Gabor buys one of the guns, but
1: because <laughs> doesn't he also? He gives him a small little keychain. Like um, it's the cutest little thing. Um... It's a
0: keychain, but you pull either side of it and it shoots out a bright light that blinds people.
1: But let's go back to why he needs the gun. He actually uh, confronts LSD Wall at this convention-slash-celebratory dinner by getting up on stage, pushing another person, and basically telling the entire room how great a security guard he is, how everything he does is illegal, and how much of a douche he is for shooting his boss.
0: Well, in the way that he describes DeWald as a douche is as they're both smiling, clapping in front of the audience, DeWald whispers to Foley, I smiled like this before I shot your boyfriend. That gets Foley angry, who then punches DeWald in the face. Then they all have to be escorted out of the room.
1: Because again, technically, from the way everybody else is viewing it, Axel's in the wrong. Axel's some crazy guy. And Ellis DeWald is above reproach because he's getting an award. And it's like, yeah, you're giving an award. And this guy's evil. And we as the audience get to see how evil he is. Because what does he do later on in the movie? DeWald is so evil
0: that later on Foley is confronting DeWald with this information about this piece of paper and how he knows he has counterfeit bills and he's going to turn him in. All of a sudden Uncle Dave pops up and DeWald shoots Uncle Dave with the gun that has Foley's fingerprints on him.
1: He actually calls Uncle Dave. And Uncle Dave thought he was going to be there just with Axel, but he calls him so that he can basically frame Axel Foley. And when Axel Foley runs, he actually gets away from uh, Ellis DeWalt. He gets away from DeWalt and is able to take Uncle Dave to the hospital. So Uncle Dave isn't killed. He's saved. But in doing so, he's marked as the shooter.
0: No matter where Axel Foley goes, the TVs always have this news story that's playing that – this man shot Uncle Dave, and they used the uh, footage filmed by the person on the scene when Axel Foley was shooting his gun after rescuing the kids at the amusement park.
1: And they basically say, this crazy guy. But they could they could identify him as a cop. They could identify him. Well, well I think they would have checked with the police, and if anybody had seen him around the police department, they could have been, easily, easily identified him as a Detroit policeman, Axel Foley. Right. They used his name, so why couldn't they identify him as a policeman? And then it would make the story even cooler. Because when you say, oh, a Detroit policeman killed Uncle Dave, that's more intriguing than, oh, a random crazy black guy killed Uncle Dave. Or shot Uncle Dave.
0: So from Um, here we go to the end of Beverly Hills Cop 3, where he... Well,
1: actually, he goes back. He goes back to Serge, and he gets the gun. And he gets that little uh, weapon. And he goes to the park for a final showdown. The police
0: get an emergency call from the security people. And this causes Rosewood...
1: To leave his desk job.
0: Right, to come to the scene in person. And the... uh, new detective John Flint show up as well.
1: But he doesn't show up till later. Rosewood's the first on the scene, and he gets to see the devastation that Axel actually runs rampant with with that gun. There's a really funny scene where there are two security guards. He's got the gun. He's basically called DeWald and said, I'm coming to the park. And he's also got the chick. He's got um Janice Perkins. He's got Janice Perkins as a hostage. And he comes to the, he's coming to the park, to basically take down DeWald. He has this weapon, there are two security cops, and everybody he pushes, they kind of, they stop, because they think, oh shit, he's actually going to fire something. Instead, he winds up playing um, uh, something by Jerry, Jerry Lewis, um, and then he plays some rap music, uh, I think he makes some popcorn, um, yeah. he throws a net, which completely misses them, but then, of course, he does shoot he shoots his uh, rocket launcher uh, and blows up a sand full of, full of stuffed animals of all the cartoon characters, which takes out one of the security guards, and the other security guard is taken out when he unloads, in a really awesome like stance, he unloads the full force of the machine gun uh, on this weapon. Actually, Matt, I have to ask, what was the name of the weapon?
0: The name of the weapon was the Annihilator 2000.
1: Well, it definitely does the job. Uh, It's funny because one of the security guards actually gets shot and falls into a popcorn machine and crashing open, so popcorn's over his corpse, and that's kind of funny. Again, not a funny movie.
0: You have a weird scene later on, still in this end portion of the movie, where I believe they're in the room where the counterfeit bills are printed. Yes. Somehow, Rosewood and Janice Perkins get locked in the side room, someone pushes a door, a glass door comes down, and it fills up with smoke.
1: It's a fire retardant that lowers the temperature of the room, because if there's ever a fire, they want to save the original uh, spools, the original reels um, of film, which has all the classic cartoons on it, like their equivalent of Steamboat Willie is protected in this room. Um, In it, there's a very simple computer, but basically they're locked in and frozen. Now, because of this, Axel's able to get away, but it leaves the two of them in a bulletproof enclosure where they're going to freeze to death.
0: But they're in this place almost freezing to death for freezing to death for an extended amount of time. Axel Foley doesn't think, oh, maybe I should save my friend, good old Billy Rosewood, from this situation. No, I'm going to let him freeze to death.
1: No, 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 because seriously, the thing is, <laughs> he would have gone and gotten help, hopefully. But at the same time, if he had, if he had stayed, he would have died. He's able to take out one or two security guards, but then he has them chasing him around the um, the park. But the cool thing is, is Rosewood and of course my uh, uh, I'm sorry Janice yep. are able to send out a very a very small code, like a very very simple code, um, and they're able to call the Beverly Hills cop or I'm sorry Beverly Hills Police Department, which is so funny. It's Beverly Hills cop, not Beverly Hills policeman uh police station and call on the 911. And every time that 911 is, call, is called in, they don't get any response. So they ask, and John Flint sees little flashing lights, and it's at Wonderworld. The same number keeps dialing from Wonderworld, but there's no answer. And instantly he thinks, Axel. Which, if you think about it, is a tagged line.
0: Yes. I think all of flint's lines of dialogues or him stuck in traffic he hears something in the news he shakes his head he goes axel <laughs> there isn't anything else flint does in this movie except shoot a few people i think in the end yeah. and by the end of the movie you have a bit of a shootout in this sort of dinosaur tunnel of love roller coaster ride and every character at the end ends up shot
1: well no, let's let's, let's talk about that of course, Axel finally gets in a fight where he's able to kill Ellis DeWalt. He's able to kill him flat out. He then is confronted by Oren Sanderson, who's the park manager. He's like, did you ever figure out who's behind this? And he's like, yeah, I figured out Ellis DeWalt, and I figured out some more stuff. And Oren's just about to shoot him. But of course, who comes to the rescue? John Flint. But of course, John Flint, in the whole thing, he also gets shot up. And then uh, Billy Rosewood, because he's... Just awesome. He's able to get out and is confronted by security guards. He does a whole kind of Westworld kind of thing. Uh, he does the whole twirling of the guns and he's able to shoot. Like, uh, I think it was four security guards is able to shoot him. But one is alive just enough to shoot him in the uh, arm. Or no, he's actually, no, he shot up pretty bad, though. He, the guy had a machine gun. He shoots him up pretty bad. And he walks into the, the dinosaur ride just looking awful. He's like, hey, guys and basically falls over, and they all start laughing, because he's bleeding to death, so let's laugh. There's nothing
0: funnier than a bunch of bleeding buddies.
1: Here's the problem. That part of the movie is the funniest scene for me. Really? Because Rosewood is bleeding. Not that that they're bleeding. Rosewood is in pain, and kind of falls over. It's funny, because then we all the bad guys are dead. And he's like, okay, we're done, and falls over. Uh... (laughs) Axel's pretty badly shot up, and he's laughing, and so is John Flint, who got like who has a bullet uh, has a bullet in his arm still, uh, and Axel's like, "Does that hurt?" And he pokes he, he pokes the hole, and, he, and of course John Flint starts crying, it's painful, and of course we see that nobody actually died, no none of the three well people died, but neither Axel Rosewood or uh, Flint have actually died They're at the end of the movie with a recovered Uncle Dave getting a, I guess, hero celebration, and they're all banged up. They all have, like, bandages on them.
0: Not only is it a hero celebration, to honor Axel Foley for his hard work, they're going to introduce a new character to the roster of Wonder World lineup, Axel Fox, who's a cartoon fox with a Detroit Lions jacket.
1: And of course, Janice at the end has to be all kind of like romantic and stuff. He's in a wheelchair. He's still, he's still wounded technically, um, and she kind of whispers into his head, ear. You haven't seen the tunnel of love. No, no. What's the actual line? I'm gonna, no, I'm it is. Even...
0: He <laughs> she says, "I'm going to take you on the tunnel of love," and Axel Foley says, oh, "I haven't been on that ride." And she says, "Well, you will in a few minutes," and he's there
1: grinning. That's an awful. That's an awful line. It is. That's not romantic or sexy.
0: It's an example of Beverly Hills Cop 3 as a whole, which is not romantic or sexy or funny. There's a few mildly amusing moments, but it's such a drop-off from Beverly Hills Cop 2, and then especially the original, which is just
1: uh, hilarious from start to finish. And the only realistic realistic acting comes from the villains, and comes from uh, Rosewood a bit.
0: Speaking of Rosewood... At the end of this movie where he's fighting the bad guys, he only uses a pistol. I kind of wish he would have had a machine gun or some ridiculous weapon because the second movie had him use all the ridiculous uh, firearms.
1: Mm. But see, already Axel had the ridiculous firearm. That's true. He already all he had was a service revolver. He wouldn't have – I don't think he would have strapped on all of his guns that he probably has at home due to uh, the psychological um, problems that I mentioned in the last podcast. Or taking something out of his trunk. Actually, he he could have. Maybe this. Maybe he was tamed, or maybe he saw the um, appointed internal affairs appointed psychiatrist, and maybe that's why he has a desk job. Maybe he accidentally shot some people, but it was a good shoot. But they still made him go on a desk job.
0: To close this out, Eddie Murphy in uh, 2006 was on Inside the Actors Studio with James Lipton. They were talking about upcoming. Re- Uh, movies they were trying to make and they mentioned Beverly Hills Cop 4. Eddie Murphy's comment was that the third Beverly Hills Cop movie was so atrocious that Axel was banished from Hollywood. But I think they're ready to have him go again. Do you think they should do a Beverly Hills Cop 4?
1: No. No.
0: No. If you are listening to this right now and you want to help decide what's going to be the next uh, series of movies we're going to cover in uh, two weeks, Send an email to sequelcast at gmail.com or go to the website www.sequelcast.com and uh, leave a comment on there. Good, folks.